0: Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie
2: Tuesday morning, the 14th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We begin today by winding the clock back seven years to 2016 when the European Commission concluded an investigation into the tax arrangements that the Apple Corporation had been enjoying in Ireland. The two-year investigation was into a variation of the so-called double Irish tax system which Apple was using to shield a whopping 110.8 billion euro in profits it made outside of the US from being taxed the EU Commission's investigation concluded that Ireland granted illegal tax benefits to Apple.
3: This means that Apple's effective tax rate in 2011 was 0.05%. To put that in perspective, it means that for every million euro in profits, it paid just 500 euros in taxes. This effective tax rate dropped further to as little as 0.005% in 2014, which means that even less was paid in taxes. It was 50 euros
2: per million in profits. Quite incredible, 50 million or 50 euro. It's so ridiculous uh, to think uh, that it would be just 50 euro per 1 million euro made in profits that was being paid in tax. And as a result of that, the European Commission concluded that Apple owed Ireland 13.1 billion euro of alleged back taxes as a result of the so-called illegal tax benefit or state aid adding interest to that figure it put the total bill at 14.3 billion euro and it's estimated that it could actually uh, result in 20 billion euro being owed to the irish state by apple Uh, of course this was appealed by both apple and by the Irish state, and that appeal was successful at the EU General Court in 2020. The European Commission, though, has decided to appeal that decision to the European Court of Justice, and it's just been announced this week that that will be a hearing that will be held on the 23rd of May, finally deciding if Ireland will take this 14, 13, 20 billion euro off Apple or uh, if Ireland will get it its way and not accept that amount of money which as we've been saying already this morning would build all of the 250,000 houses that are needed in this country along with uh, a number of hospitals, roads and God knows what else and there'll be plenty of spare change. Uh, Sean Healy of uh, Director, Director of Social Justice Ireland uh, was to be on the line. I, I'm told that that's not the case now. Uh, I'm not sure what the breakdown is there, but hopefully we can get Sean on the line in the next few minutes and return to this story because uh, I think it's one of interest to a lot of people, especially considering all of the challenges that we have in the country. So we'll turn our attention to the big news that broke overnight and that is the confirmation after a lot of speculation that the President of the United States of America is to visit this island to coincide with the 25th anniversary of of the Good Friday Agreement on the 10th of April. The invitation was extended to Mr. Biden by the British Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak. We can hear what they had to say now.
4: Hopefully you will be able to do until we can commemorate the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. I know it's something that's very special and personal to you. We'd love to have you over.
5: It is, but of course <laughs> 25 years. Seems like yesterday. <laughs> Seems like yesterday. Anyway, thank you. Are you going to Northern yeah. Island, sir? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, Ireland, sir? So he will come to the Republic following a visit to Northern Ireland. Let's hear a little bit more about this. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway and political columnist with the journal.ie is on the line. Good morning to you, Larry. Thanks for joining us on the programme. It's confirmation after a lot of speculation, not much of a surprise, but great news nonetheless.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has long been on the burn. Uh, the U.S. Ambassador Claire Cronin confirmed late last year that Joe Biden would be here uh, at some stage during uh, 2023. Um, now, there had been a lot of speculation that this would not coincide uh, with the Good Friday agreement, with the anniversary of the Good Friday agreement, that perhaps his visit might be a distraction of or-, or present some undue uh, pressure on the parties. Uh, but it seems like he is going to be here next month, the exact dates. Uh, he'll be here, I suppose, depend on the report that you read. Some are saying that it could be around the 10th of April, some are saying it could be a few days later. Uh, but at any rate, it is uh, very very good news uh, again that this president who is by a lot of uh, so, you know a lot of measures, uh, the most Irish uh, American president in his commitment to this country and in particular to um, to peace in the north and to you know smoothing the, the fallout from brexit, I think is uh, is very strong. So yeah of course it's it's great to have him uh, visiting.
2: And another great opportunity for this country to showcase what is on offer to people in America, in Ireland. Uh, but uh, it begins this week, of course, with Taoiseach Leo Radker travelling uh, in the opposite direction uh, and will meet Mr. Biden in the White House where he will formally invite the President to visit the Republic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, it's, it goes without saying, Every every year there is, amount of controversy about the presence of so many uh, government ministers in the United States and indeed around the world. But uh, the Taoiseach and and the other ministers have an extraordinary opportunity. St. Patrick's Day is a truly global holiday uh, and the potential for economic development, for educational ties, for business links uh, across the spectrum. Uh, is an extraordinary one, and I expect that uh, this year, as ever, uh, Ireland will make the most of its opportunities uh, on the global stage. And of course, um, you know we've said it before, but the reality is, you know, having a bilateral meeting with the President of the United States is extremely significant, especially when, uh, as you say, it looks like that President of the United States is coming to visit us next month.
2: Absolutely. And uh, there will be some talk, uh, obviously, about uh, the institutions in Northern Ireland. Uh, Mr. Biden had made it very clear to the British government uh, that if uh, the Northern Ireland protocol wasn't honoured, that there wouldn't be a trade deal with the United States. It seems as though the British government will want to. Uh, Go ahead with uh, this Windsor framework, uh, as it's now called. Uh, But there's no certainty that Stormont will be uh, restored and that uh, an assembly will be in place by the time the president visits uh, the north.
1: No, I mean, I think that's extremely unlikely from this remove. And, and again, you know, that this, the difficulty, you know, the, you know, there seems to be agreement, at least, you know, Rishi Sunak and et cetera. Uh, but the difficulties on the ground in and around Stormont uh, persist. Uh, How those are going to resolve themselves, I suppose, uh, you'd need a crystal ball to to, to, to figure out exactly how that's going to work. Uh, From my point of view, uh, it seems like the EU uh, has given a lot here. Uh, I don't think that there's going to be a better deal on the table. But that having been said, that doesn't really assuage a lot of the concerns uh, that continue to to be expressed uh, by the unionist community. And indeed, um, it, w- Joe Biden will be watched very carefully for what he says when he is here. Mm. Uh, certainly, he's going to have to walk a tightrope uh, with his rhetoric, and his speechwriters will have to be careful, as well as, Uh, We do know that the president has uh, a penchant, unfortunately, sometimes for saying uh, unfortunate things, and we certainly wouldn't want that to happen uh, in this context where, again, uh, everything really is on a knife edge, and we desperately, for all sorts of reasons, Mm. uh, you know, even leaving aside, um, you know, the historic tensions, et cetera, we need to get Stormont back up and running. That's an urgent priority for the people in in Northern Ireland. So uh, certainly we don't, we want President Biden's visit to bolster that chance not to hurt it uh,
2: and I'm sure the president will be asked uh, what's the celebration of the Good Friday agreement about because the fundamental aspect of uh, the Good Friday agreement was power sharing
1: yes absolutely and I you know I think he will and I think again look the president is very committed on these issues you know I'm sure he's going to to speak well to all uh, of those concerns my hope is. Uh, again, is that the visit will, you know, sort of bolster things rather than, uh, you know, I suppose, it has been a sentiment expressed in some, by some in the unionist community that, look, uh, Joe Biden is an Irish Catholic. He has made disparaging remarks before, for instance, about the BBC, that, uh, you know, he's not going to help things. Uh, I like to think that he actually will. And again, uh, I hope that he'll rise to the occasion when he's here. I'm sure he will. Uh, But make no mistake, I mean, this is not just a visit uh, about reconnecting with his Irish roots, which we're all glad the president has. We're all glad that he loves Ireland. But there's important matters of diplomacy here at stake as well
2: indeed some people would say he made disparaging comments about the Irish you remember that one I'm, 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 I, I, I'm Irish but I'm not stupid <laughs>
1: yeah I, I, I do and I, you know again um, and, and this is not to pour any cold water on the visit and I know a lot of people Michael in your neck of the woods will be hoping he makes a visit up to the Cooley Peninsula to see his uh, his people in one of the places and only has strong roots in uh, mm. but certainly uh, I you know I, I do I do worry at one level that Uh, You know, about the potential for a gap. I'm hoping he won't. I'm hoping and I'm fairly confident that, uh, again, this will be a positive uh, visit. But uh, look, as I say, uh, there are some issues here that need to be worked through. It's not just going to be about celebrating his Irish roots.
2: Have you any sway in uh, deciding uh, where Mr. Biden will visit when he comes here? Because there's a lot of concern locally here this morning, Larry. The Irish Independent is saying it'll be a five-day visit, but most of it will be in Mayo. Has, is there a chance that he, he'll forget his Cooley roots?
1: I, I've always said, Michael, <laughs> that I'm not getting involved in the tug-of-war <laughs> between Louth and Mayo over the roots. Uh, I'm not getting between the, the the Connies and the Bluets and everyone else. Uh, I think that, look, I think Biden cherishes his his roots equally. Uh, And one thing I'd say about a lot of these media reports, to be blunt with you, is an awful lot of this is conjecture. Um, You know, the Secret Service and others around the president, they're not keen on revealing the exact details of of exactly what's going to happen. So if you look at different media outlets this morning, you'll Mm -hmm. see varying reports as to what this trip is going to be like. Uh, I'd be reasonably confident that Joe Biden uh, will be in Loud, that he will be in Mayo, that he will be in Dublin, he will be in Belfast. And it will be, uh, again, a great trip that will reaffirm the historic connection between Ireland and the United States.
2: Perhaps we can get a a message to Mr. Varadkar and ask him to uh, impart uh, some information to the president that when they open the Narrow Water Bridge, it'll be called after Mr. Biden. Might encourage him to come to the coolies and stay a little bit longer in Louth than in Mayo.
1: Uh, absolutely. I think that's the, that, that's the kind of thing that, that might might draw the president in. And I'm sure once he gets right. to the beautiful Cooley Peninsula, he won't want to leave.
2: I'm sure he won't. Larry, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us this morning. Much appreciated. Uh, as always, and always good to talk to you for that matter. That's Larry Donnelly, who is a uh, lecturer in politics at and law I beg your pardon at NUI Galway.
6: Michael Reed
2: on LMFM. Now if you'd like to make a comment on the program today as always we'd love to hear from you just to remind you our telephone number is 0419832000 that's 0419832000 you can text or WhatsApp us on 0861800658 if you want to make comment on the program today, text or WhatsApp your message to us on 086 658. And as always, you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, we hope to get it as close as we possibly can to the American president today speaking to his fifth cousin. Uh, We're hoping that we'll be able to line up that call with Councillor Andrea McEvitt in just a few moments' time. I'm sure she can reassure us about a visit to the Cooley Mountains. But I don't think any of us need to be reminded about the very strong connections uh, that Joe Biden, the uh, President of America, has uh, with uh, this country. Uh, And we'll reflect on some of that through the programme today. And we'll begin now by hearing a little bit from uh, the celebrations for St. Patrick's Day in the United States last year with the then Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi.
7: We're especially grateful to be celebrating the Feast of St. Patrick with an Irish-American President of the United States. two nations are, are very strong, as you know. And even though the Speaker of the House is not Irish, Italian-American, I don't have Irish grandparents, but I do have Irish grandchildren. <laughs> Sean, Ryan, and, and Leo. And again, uh, they are just an example of the millions of bonds between our two countries of Irish-Americans. And that future of our country is strengthened by America's... if you talk about the firm commitment to our future. uh, It's it's enhanced by Irish-Americans. The um, Irish-Americans have fought in the Revolutionary War, in the Civil War, have built our country in so many ways. I don't need to go into... You all know it. It's the stories of your life. And always to make a peaceful, beautiful future for America. I do want to say that uh, uh, in our shared history, peace has been a focal point. And last night, I mentioned the Good Friday of Courts as a part of peace in our time. I spoke about it last night uh, because I had the privilege of being on a number of to Ireland to Northern Ireland as well and many of us who visit Northern Ireland in the 90s saw at the border tanks, soldiers, Union tanks, barbed wire and the rest and those of us who went recently uh, to observe the anniversary of the Good Friday Accord saw a completely different situation at the border just a yellow line turning into a white mine making the distinction between northern and southern and northern and, and northern ireland and ireland
2: that's Nancy Pelosi speaking in Washington at the annual Friends of Ireland 2022 uh, event. Uh, of course, uh, there will be another one this year with that Irish American president that she spoke about, Joe Biden. Uh, and we'll hear from uh, the president later in the program. But as mentioned earlier on, we can go now to his fifth cousin. That's Fianna Fáil councillor Andrea McEvitt. and A very good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Where are you this morning?
8: Good morning, Michael. Michael, I'm waking up in Washington DC this morning. And it's really, 30. it must be very
2: early there yeah, now, is it? It's, it's
8: about five. It's five forty.
2: Okay, right. Well, you wake up to the news that your fifth cousin is uh, going to be visiting here next month. Uh, uh, the same time we've the tea shock uh, in Washington this evening. Uh, it's a, a great time of the year, I suppose, to be Irish.
8: Exactly. It's you know it's. You're lucky enough to be Irish this week. It's, there's a great buzz, I'm sure, at home and here. The news then that President Biden's coming, that he's announced it on St. Patrick's Week, There's going to be, the celebrations are going to be bigger than ever, I think, for St. Patrick's Day, firstly. And then when he comes back home to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, you know, it's going to be such a huge event for our country.
2: Mm. Do you have a, a, any contact uh, with uh, the President? Do you have any forewarning of this?
8: Uh, no, just what I've seen in the media I am hoping to have his ear on Friday for hopefully a minute and I will be putting in a good plea to, to visit the wee County and come back to his roof in the Cooley Peninsula.
2: Yeah, no, I'm absolutely delighted to hear that. I was talking to Larry Donnelly a little bit earlier on, Andrea and uh, there's some very worrying news. I'm not sure if you've seen the Irish Independent in Washington this morning but they're saying that the President will come to Ireland for five days and most of that time is going to be spent in Mayo.
8: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've seen that as well. But I assume Michael, like, it will be the obvious choice for him to stop off in Loud when he's going from Dublin to Belfast. Um, I know that when he came the last time, he had a real sense of home. He was happy, he was content in Loud. He was delighted to meet up with his cousins and Lily Finnegan's and the Corner. So hopefully that will bring him back to Loud. And he always mentions, like, last year in his um, St Patrick's Day speeches and at the fun dinner, he, you know, he strongly linked back his connections to County Loud and the Finnegan family. So I'm sure if he has anything to do with the plan that we will see him revisit the weekend.
2: Mm. What about this idea of naming the Narrow Water Bridge after your fifth cousin who happens to be the President of the United States of America, Joe Biden?
8: I think it's a it's a wonderful idea, Michael. Um, the Biden Bridge, he's such a good friend to Ireland. He's been a great supporter of the Good Friday Agreement. The Narrow Water Bridge, you know, it reaffirms everything that we've achieved with the Good Friday Agreement, connecting north and south. And I think it would just be wonderful.
2: It certainly would uh, for uh, the president. Would you think it would be enough to convince him to spend uh, more time in County Down when he does visit <laughs> next month?
8: <laughs> well, hopefully, because as well, Michael, um, I suppose Biden's great-great-grandfather left from Urien County Down to head off mm. in the Hope of the American dream. So, you know, we've more connections there with Loud and Down. So, you know, we will we, we
2: live in hope. OK. And uh, why is it uh, you're in Washington yourself uh, this week?
8: Um, I have a few meetings over here, Michael, and then um, I'm hoping to get to meet the president on Friday.
2: Oh, excellent. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. Well, uh, I'll uh, definitely and... be
8: having it. I'll be plugging Loud, don't worry about it. And
2: oh, I'm sure Emil you can will.
8: A meal can have Sam, but Loud will take Joe.
2: Okay, very good. All right, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, and fly the Irish flag. Uh, I'm sure you will every step of the way. And thanks, as I say, for taking the call so early in the morning, half five there in Washington uh, as we speak. That's uh, Councillor uh, Andrea McKevitt, Fianna Fall Councillor on Louth County Council and the fifth cousin of the incumbent president of the United States, Joe Biden. Speaking of which, I think we can hear from the president now. It's a clip that goes back a year, but with the day that's in it, I think probably worth listening to again.
5: The Irish on St. Patrick's Day, think that Irish Americans think they're more Irish than the Irish. and uh, But uh, that's kind of how I was raised. Like so many Americans of, uh, of Irish heritage, like other people of other heritage as well, Uh, I was, uh, it was imbued in me to be proud of, uh, proud of my, uh, my heritage. And, uh, you know, uh, the pride that uh, was passed down generations in our family, even though they've been here since the mid-1800s. And uh, it was this part of the air we breathed, especially up in Scranton, and uh, where we live with my, near my grandpa. My grandfather, Ambrose Finnegan, used to say to me this, he'd say, Joey, if you're lucky enough to be Irish, you're lucky enough. <laughs> uh, every time something bad happened, I go, I don't wear hair. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway. But because of uh, being an Irish family, uh, family was everything. My dad's expression was family is the beginning, the middle, and the end. And, uh, and he meant it. Um, and uh, but, you know, uh, the faith we share with one another and the resilience that we've all gone through both in America and in Ireland, uh, you know, uh, are ones that uh, we've been knocked down sometimes, just knocked flat in our back. And uh, my, uh, my mom's expression for real was, Joey, get up, just get up, get up. a simple proposition. It was sort of the Irish it. You just get up no matter what dust yourself off and move. Not, we're not the only culture that has that view, but it was imbued in my family. And the other one was that, and I mean this sincerely, my dad is, no one is better than you, and you're no better than anyone else. Not a joke. No one is better than you, but you're no better than anyone else. And it's real. It's real. Because we were taught never, as my mother would say, never bow, never bend, never yield. But the truth of the matter was that uh, in the days when my parents and grandparents were growing up in the cold country of Scranton, uh, being Irish was less than a badge of honor. Uh, my, uh, my great-grandfather uh, Blewett, on uh, my, uh, my grandmother Finnegan's maiden name, was only the second Catholic ever elected to the uh, Senate in the state of uh, the state of pennsylvania and that was 1907 only the second one the first one was in i think 1838 or 1840 the point was that like many cultures like many folks uh where you came from was either viewed as an asset or a liability and uh where uh you know but the point is that everything that we were taught and I'm sure all of you of Irish background and other backgrounds as well were taught that uh, that uh, you know it's all about striving for a better future, that you can do better, just simply do better, and uh, you know, and you can do it while you cherish the past. Now you don't have to forget the past or, dis- or dis- disassociate yourself from it, but cherish. it.
2: That's the president of uh, the United States. Joe Biden speaking a year ago at the Friends of America event in Washington.
6: Michael Reed on LMFM.
2: Now, two weeks ago, the Minister for Health and the Chief Medical Officer encouraged older people to say hello again world, launching the social connections campaign to address loneliness and isolation among older people, advising people to return to doing things you love after the pandemic. It's three years since uh, the Taoiseach Leo Bradker spoke to the country from Washington, telling us St. Patrick's Day in 2020 would be very different from any other St. Patrick's Day because of coronavirus. Three years on and Mr. Bradker travels once again to Washington, but under very different circumstances, with most of us thankful that COVID has been relegated to history. Today, we also learn that the COVID app is to be decommissioned. It's no longer needed. Indeed, the Chinese government has just announced it is to open its borders to tourism for the first time in three years since the pandemic broke out in Wuhan. Great, isn't it? Well, it's music to my ears anyway. But why am I not in work today? Of course, I'm working. We can all hear that. But I'm not in work. I'm at home with COVID. I know. <laughs> I believe it less than anyone. Yes, I have COVID and a number of people I know have COVID as well. In fact, I'm one of six people out of a group of eight who caught the virus this week. It spread very quickly through our group. One of the group never had COVID before and all of us would have considered ourselves to have been very cautious up until recently. Let's speak to Dr. Mary Scully, GP with Abbey House Medical Centre in Navan. A very good morning to you, Dr. Scully, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, it hasn't gone away, you know.
3: No, as you are living proof of that exact statement, it has not gone away. But it's a very different animal to the one that arrived on our shores three years ago. You know, as, as you can say, because you're at, able to work from home. Three years ago, mm. had you caught COVID, you would certainly not have been able to work from home. You would have been quite ill indeed. So it's a different it's a different animal nowadays.
2: Yeah, in fact, I'd be trying to say there's nothing wrong with me.
3: Mm. Yeah, so did you just test and find
2: you were positive? Well, I did have some cold symptoms, but very, very mild. uh, And uh, one of the group tested then, and uh, we went around each other testing, Mm. uh, and six out of the eight uh, proved to be positive. And I've been hearing of other people uh, who are catching it as well.
3: Yeah, no, it's still there. It has, you know, I mean, for all the talk about oh, reopening and you know apps being decommissioned and border reopening i mean that's all fine but it is still there but i think it's now been relegated to kind of the levels of you know other viruses that are just going to be pandemic in this country it's never going to be gone but hopefully with the advent of um you know vaccinations we're all better protected and we're all a little bit more savvy now about Trying to kind of keep ourselves protected and keep others protected if we discover we have the virus. So we have learnt lessons, and so it's going to end up just being like flu or RSV or any of the other numbers of coughs and cold viruses that have been going around the winter and still go around every winter.
2: Okay, so you'd agree with the Chief Medical Officer that despite this virus being in the community and quite the possibility of catching it, I suppose, as has always been the case, that people should get back to doing what they loved before the pandemic.
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the risks of continuing with the types of restrictions that we have had up to this are now outweighing any potential benefits. So the risks of isolation and loneliness Uh, mental health issues etc you know now far outweigh you know the possible benefits of remaining isolated so that's the rationale for the the um, advice that's been given now
2: okay Well, you forgive me for feeling pretty hard done by at the moment because (laughs) i've been told i have to stay at home for seven days
3: I know. I know. uh, I mean, I think in England, if you test negative after five days, you can reappear into society again. But at the moment, the HSE device still is seven days of isolation if you test positive. And I suppose it's just a matter of that you have to put up with this for the moment um, until, um, you you know, the virus gets a a bit less virulent. And maybe over the Mm. summertime, there'll be less of it around maybe you know, the advice may well change that if you test negative, you can reappear. Um, it doesn't seem all that sensible because you probably feel you've been in work feeling worse than you are feeling at the moment. Um, mm. I know when I had COVID back last March, I felt absolutely fine, really. I was a bit tired, but I was about the height of it. But then, mm-hmm. you know, my husband got it at um, between Christmas and New Year, and he was fairly floored for, you know, a couple of weeks. Like, he didn't right. feel wonderful at all. So.
7: You know,
2: okay, but but I mean, if it is generally speaking uh, a mild disease, now why is it that I have to stay at home for seven days? Because that's the advice at the moment from the HSE. Mm. Well, I suspect but what's that advice based that on? Explain change. it to me if you can, please.
3: Well, the advice was based on when COVID first appeared because it was exceptionally infectious and because of the risk. To other people contracting it, who may not have been in as robust health as yourself, Michael. Um, you mm. know, elderly people with immune deficiencies, um, cancer treatment, etc. There was always the risk that you were going to pass it on to them, and mm. that they would suffer much more than you are currently doing. So it's really okay. for protection mm. of other people. And um, I
2: suppose I'm wondering if there's a lesson in that for other people in that. uh, Had I not been told by people I know that they had COVID, I'm not sure that I would have tested for COVID. I thought I had mild symptoms of a a cold. Uh, If you have mild symptoms of a, a cold, should you be testing for COVID?
3: Yes, you should, because often that's all people have are mild symptoms of a cold. But testing, you know, does seem to be getting further and further from people's minds. When they do have um, any respiratory symptoms, I know that when we have people presenting both to the practice and to the out of hours, um, and uh, you know they're asked if they have respiratory symptoms, have you done a test? And mm. it's getting to be fewer and fewer people have even thought about doing a test, and a lot of them are saying, "Oh, sure, it's not COVID; it's only really a cold." Yeah, you know, this is the attitude that's around at the moment. You know that it's oh, it can't possibly be COVID; I don't feel that sick, but Yeah, well that's something that belongs
2: back in 2020 when Leo Bradcock was talking about superheroes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, But we uh, have been on a a very long road over the last Mm -hmm. three years uh, and I I don't know. I don't think it was surprising, really. It probably would have been my response had it been uh, a conversation going in the other direction. But I was speaking to a relative who was planning on going away next month and it is long overdue a booster vaccination. Mm. Uh, And she said, I think I'll just go and get it now. I just she actually went, went and made the appointment there then after hearing that I had caught the virus.
3: Yes, I know, and and, I mean, we still have plenty of boosters, um, you know, available for people. If it is more than four months since your last booster, you know, by all means, um, go and get another one, Um, you know, unless you've had some sort of reaction to the vaccine, um, and some people have had, but the vast majority have not. So, you know, if you've been fine on your other vaccines, go and get another booster. All right.
5: Well,
2: of course, this is a very, very busy week traditionally and uh, people will come yeah. together and celebrate everything that is. But it is to be Irish and St. Patrick's Day is a, a, one of... And Cheltenham. Uh,
3: Remember Cheltenham three years ago?
2: <laughs> yes, Cheltenham.
3: Cheltenham oh, uh, and, uh, and yeah. they all came back
2: with coronavirus, yeah, right. as we called it then. Yeah. We have the big rugby match, we have Mother's Day, we have all sorts of, of uh, yeah, coming together. Yeah, going on this week, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. would, would, would you have any advice for people or should we just... Go on as if the virus doesn't exist and not worry about it. Because that's the way I took the advice from the chief medical officer to get back to doing things the way we used to do.
3: Yes. And, and I mean, I think that's right and correct. As people should be getting out, going to the parades, going to Cheltenham, going to some to out for Mother's Day. They should be doing all that with the one exception that if you don't feel well, and if you don't feel well, you should be testing just to make sure you haven't picked up um, COVID and, therefore, at risk of spreading it to other people that you'll be out in company with. All right. That's well, it. you should be really isolating because, um, you know, while for most people it's nowadays a pretty mild virus, but you know that some people do get sick from it, and we have to think about you know, our elderly and our sick and our cancer treatments and so on, you know, so that I would still suggest to people that if you don't feel well, even if it's just, a you know, bit of a head cold, a bit of a sniffle, yep. headache, whatever, just go and get a test and rule it out.
2: OK, vaccinate to prevent getting it, test if you're at all unwell and then isolate if you prove positive.
3: They all still remain the same advice, but if you don't belong in any of those categories, then off you go, go out and enjoy yourself. <laughs>
2: Okay, and I hope that is the case for most people listening to us today. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the programme today. That's uh, Dr. Mary Scully, a GP with Abbey House Medical Centre in Nav.
6: Michael Michael Reed Reed
2: on LMFM. Now, some people are in touch with us uh, today, and thanks if you've uh, taken the time to phone or text or WhatsApp or email, as the case may be. Claire, thank you indeed for your call to the program today. She says it's great news uh, that President Biden is planning another visit to this country. The links between the States and Ireland are so strong. We should celebrate them at every opportunity. Biden has always worn his Irish heritage with huge pride. And it's lovely to see this. She's sure that he'll be welcomed back with open arms. I'm sure that he will, Claire. We're hoping that it'll be in County Louth and not exclusively in County Mayo. I think that's uh, the big question this morning for some of us. Uh, Michael in Kells in touch, wanting to know why banks will not issue 100% mortgages anymore. We've lots of young people paying out a fortune in rent every month, and that leaves them in a position where they're not capable of saving towards a mortgage. If 100% mortgages were available, then young people would be able to use their wages to pay off a mortgage off their own bat rather than someone else's this would help to free up rental homes for other people as well and deirdre's been on as well she's delighted that biden is visiting the country again uh, mighty uh add the heritage town of kells to his itinerary she wonders well thank you indeed uh, deirdre you never miss an opportunity, and I have to say, it's very admirable. Anyway, if you'd like to make a comment on the program today, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 983 That's 983 2000. WhatsApp 086 658, or text that number. That's the same number if you want to text or WhatsApp, 086... send us a message and we'll read it out in the program and we'd be delighted to do that for you or if you're at your computer this morning and you want to email a message it's michael at lmfm.ie if you want to do that now We've heard a, a lot of talk, a lot of concern about uh, the closure of uh, the driving test centre in Drogheda. It's a, an issue that was raised in the doll last week by Peter Fitzpatrick. I think we can hear some of uh, the response to those concerns that came from the Taoiseach, Leo Radker now.
4: A commitment was given last year to close the test centre in Marion Park in Drogheda by the end of February this year as the lease expired. The site was always a temporary solution while uh, the RSA tried to find a more suitable location and that work is ongoing. The RSA has reviewed several options in the area but to date hasn't found a suitable alternative location. It's important that the site of a test centre itself uh, does not in itself create unnecessary disruption for local communities, uh, particularly in counties Loud and Meath.
6: listen, as you know yourself, one of the most important things is achieving a license. And the situation is you've took up three massive towns. You've in Dog, and Navin. And the situation's getting worse. Uh, I, got, I, got, I got an email here yesterday from, from uh, a young man in, uh, in Mead, Navin. And basically, he's, he's saying it's like the exact same thing is, like, he, he's getting on and he's trying to apply for a test. And every time on, they told him to come back another week, another week, another week, another week. But uh, I passed my driving test when I was 18. And it opened up so many opportunities. But you've nearly 3,000 people in draw And you're telling me, Minister, and like, the two other big towns in, in, in the region, that this, this is going to help the situation. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. This has this was going on for the last two years. The situation was that, they, that the RSA knew exactly what was happening. They knew in two, that, that, that in two years' time, they had to find another place. Now, they've been working very close with the Lake County Council, and they've found a site. And it, honestly, Minister... It's only a stroke of a pen, a very, very, very simple thing. There's a young fella for me uh, that has, uh, has lost an opportunity getting a job. He, he has to fail going to college. Thank you, Just, he's, he's no way of getting transport. So, so listen, to it's a, it's only a stroke of a pen. This situation can be sorted out in, in, in in a matter of, of days. Thank you, so I'm I'm pleading to please sort out the situation for these young people and these three thousand people that stuck in Jordan.
4: Right passed my driving test um, at, uh, at 18 as well, although it was my second attempt, a little bit like my electoral record, it took uh, two attempts to uh, succeed, um, um, but I, I do understand how important it is that people should have uh, a full licence, um, it's about being able to get a job as you said, it's about being able to um, uh, get around, get to college, uh, do whatever people need to do. And it's a major restriction on people's freedom uh, not to be able to have their full licence. I don't accept, though, Deputy, that a change is just a stroke of a pen. Um, You know, I'm a former minister for road safety. I've met the family members uh, of people who were killed um, by an unaccompanied driver. Um, And unfortunately, it is a simple fact uh, that people who haven't passed their driving test um, are more at risk of harming themselves or harming other people. Um, and that to me will be a worse outcome, an increase in injuries and deaths and disability caused by driving accidents on, a road, on the road, than people having to wait uh, 20 weeks for a test or 40 weeks. Not a, not a nice choice to have to make, but I think it is the right one. But we will do everything we can to get that waiting list down and the 30% increase in testers will make a difference.
5: Thank you, Taoiseach. We move to, we move to
6: the, we move to the independent group. Taoiseach, a can't occasion for two and years. Thank you, that's very government. kind. App,
2: <sighs> All right, uh, despite uh, the protests uh, from Peter Fitzpatrick, uh, I don't think that there's much room for optimism uh, at this stage uh, of uh, a solution being found uh, to the closure of uh, the driving test centre in Marion Park in Drogheda. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar responding to independent TD for and Eastmead, Peter Fitzpatrick in the Doll last week. Uh, I'll just read out the telephone numbers again for you if I can today.
0: PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Because uh, you may want to keep a sick man company. <laughs> <laughs> I'm isolated, I'm on my own. I don't even have Maggie or Chris to look at. Uh, they're talking to me in my ears, but I'm at home with COVID uh, and I'd love to hear from you. It's the usual telephone numbers as always, zero four one nine eight three two thousand. That's not zero no, four one nine eight three two thousand. Text or WhatsApp 086-180-658. 800 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Do please give us a call if you have anything on your mind. Now, one of the things... Uh, that we're all talking about today is uh, the visit of the American president, Joe Biden. It's expected to happen early next month to coincide with the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which is on the 10th of April. Uh, I think uh, it's not expected to be on the 10th of April, but in or around that time, uh, and certainly next month, it's expected uh, that Mr Biden will visit the island of Ireland. He will be in the north of Ireland and he will spend some time in the Republic and the Taoiseach will make a formal invitation uh, to the President uh, later this evening, I I think, uh, when he arrives in Washington. But we did hear some of uh, what was said at the Friends of Ireland event uh, 2022, last year's uh, event. It's an annual event that takes place in in Washington, Uh, and I thought we might listen to a bit of a a prayer this morning, uh, because uh, it was a a curious one that was uh, delivered with a very Irish team from the Reverend Thomas O'Connor.
11: Patrick is remembered for his simplicity and pastoral care, for his humble trust in God and for his fearless preaching of the gospel to those who had enslaved him in his youth. He saw a future of Ireland and the care of its people as a core of his mission. He was committed to the growth of people by building community, by teaching the people about Christian faith, and by listening to God. Like Patrick, we of Irish ancestry have been blessed with a captivating culture which speaks to, speaks of who we are and what makes us Irish. Like an exquisite landscape imbued with 40 shades of green. Like Irish soda bread and the endless cups of tea. Like a Cayley celebration of storytelling, singing, music, and the beat of of the run, and Irish step dancing, and the presence of Guinness and Jameson are only an Irish jig away. Lies a gift of the gab present in the Irish and many politicians Present company is no exception.
5: <laughs>
11: Regardless if you have kissed the Stone or not. Like the gift of poetry, literature, mystics, and myth. And as, and also like the beautiful concept of Anamkara, soul friends, which our two nations have become over the years in a strong bond of hope, unity, and trust.
2: Very unusual, but a a very Irish theme uh, to uh, that opening prayer at the annual Friends of Ireland 2022, which was held in Washington and is held uh, every year. That was the Reverend Thomas O'Connor.
6: Michael, Michael Reed on, on
2: LMFM. Now you won't get a hotel room in Dublin this weekend but if you somehow managed to or if you managed to during the week, uh, you probably didn't get much change out of €1,500 Euro for a night. Let's speak to Sinn Féin's spokesperson on tourism and a member of the Oireachtas Committee on Tourism, Imelda Munster who's a TD for Louth and D-Smead. And A very good morning to you Imelda Munster and thanks for joining us on the programme. We Quite often hear from the hospitality industry uh, and the Hotels Federation about how difficult it is to do business in in this country uh, and how much support is needed to make it viable for them to do business. And I think quite often that's listened to. But is it a a case of take, take, take uh, and never a case of of giving? Uh, Because this would appear to be no less than price gouging.
12: Oh absolutely, 100% it is Mike um, and this has been going on since last year and I flagged, flagged it up on numerous occasions both with the Minister and the Tourism Committee we had the um, Irish Hotels Federation in and Fallshire Ireland in as well and I flagged up the long-term reputational damage it's doing to our country both uh, inter- for international and domestic tourism and the price gouging You know, and at the same time and um, the, the CEO of the Irish Hotels Federation was saying, well, they, they can't, you know, they can't tell members what to charge. But <clears throat> at the same time, they were the first they come when it's lobbying. They represent the industry and they've no problems lobbying on their behalf or when they were crying poverty. But the most sickening thing of all is during Covid, when they got the government support, but also when there was the when it was starting to open up a bit, um, people were encouraged to staycation. Do you remember that campaign? Mm-hmm, people, yep. people holding at home. And they did, and the public supported them. But as soon as things started to open up and get back to normal, the rip-off had started again. And I was just looking even this morning, I'd seen stuff in the press, but I um, was just looking this morning, there was one hotel, it was €1,004 Euro for um, one night, Patrick's night, 1004 mm. for one room. But now the good news was that there's breakfast included in that. Oh, you very know, 2004, good. For yeah. you, get a cup of tea and rasher and sausage. Um, but they were averaging around five hundred. Temple Bar were anything from seven eighty, you know, wow. or from seven twenty to seven eighty. Hostel was the um, three seventy seven, I think, going up to yeah. four euro or five hundred for hostel. In a lodge, there was a single room with a shared bathroom. Uh, 296 i mean right. extortionate rates mm. being charged and i mean even airmen, if i
2: had that money even if i had that money i, I wouldn't pay it it's no, awful it's p- just people, it's, a, it's I mean, a waste of money you shouldn't spend that amount of money on a hotel room
12: no and people shouldn't support them and uh, mm. you know the hotels that are charging they just people should just say no we're not we're not giving it we're not giving mm. it over because and that came with the argument of the bath rate and I had raised that too with the minister because there were other countries that had separated had a split fat rate. You know, when they were the hotel federation were lobbying again to retain the nine percent VAT as opposed to the thirteen point five. And that was only a temporary measure during COVID to assist them. But yeah. I always felt that it would send a clear message that um you're not going to get the the VAT reduction. We're not going to continue it for hotels. You could continue it for the others because other countries have proven that that can be done. You know, the restaurants and cinemas and theatres and museums, um, they could still get the VAT reduction, but hotels that were engaged in that price gouging shouldn't. And there wouldn't be long pulling their horns in then and offering value for money because the whole Irish tourism depends on value for money as a a huge tourist destination. And, and of course, most
2: people, of the staff working in the industry are on minimum wage.
12: Pittance, yeah, pittance, yeah. Mm. But last year, and again I flagged that up, Lonely Planet had um, posted a really, really critical review um, and they were talking about the soaring costs for hotels and um, the
2: Car hire at the time, I
12: think. And, yeah, and the holidaymakers mm, mm, budget. Mm. So that, it's out there. It's out there, and the the short term greed is doing long term damage, and it's as simple as that. And you'd have little, I would have little sympathy for them when they're engaging in this, you know. And they actually said in black and white almost um, about the uh, on weekends and on nights that there are major concerts or events, um, Mm. and when the occupancy exceeds 90% that um, the available rooms left are quoted. That's, that's more or less saying what they would, is price gouging. And mm. the excuse they would say is supply and demand. But that's just saying, okay, we know these rooms are in demand, so we'll hike them up threefold yeah. and expect people to pay. But you remember last summer and even September, October, people going to concerts that had bought mm. tickets. When they went to book a hotel room, they actually couldn't travel then. Because the yeah. hotel room was, they just couldn't afford it. They were buying a ticket to the concert,
2: and we heard stories about uh, people travelling abroad to go to see the same artist, Bruce Springsteen, that's or wherever. Right but when you took everything into account, uh, it was cheaper yeah. to get on a plane and get a hotel and go to the concert uh, overseas somewhere rather than trying to do it in this country.
12: Yeah, exactly. And you know, once that's out, and they, they genuinely do not, there are other hotels right across the country that are offering good value for money and they're mm-hmm. fuming. They're fuming yeah. because that reputational damage will do them untold harm. But last year in the committee, I remember quoting prices um, during the summer. One uh, hotel in Dublin was, uh, I think it was three seventy nine, no breakfast. Yeah. But yet in Madrid you could get it for one third of the price and the same in, I think it was Amsterdam and Paris and Lisbon. Mm. So, People are going to, rather than holiday at home, people are going to say, no, I'll get three days abroad for that. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to satisfy them to give them, give them the money. And, but it's the long-term reputational damage. If, if tourists coming, international tourists coming in and they compare prices between other countries in Europe or, you know, tourists from America, North America, Asia, yeah. wherever, they're coming from, once that reputation gets out, it's very, very hard to lose it.
2: Yeah, mean and greedy. Uh, I mean, that's what we're talking about. Uh, uh, Apart apart from being extortionate and making it unaffordable for people, it's a mean, greedy reputation that we run the risk of obtaining. And if people were looking uh, at hotel rooms in Dublin last month uh, and comparing those prices to this weekend, they'd know that the hotels are being simply mean and greedy. Yeah,
12: yeah. And look, I... I Pretty much pleaded with the minister to do something. Fulcher, uh, the CEO of Falsha Ireland, had said because of the hassle they were getting at the committee, they had um, he had written directly to accommodation providers. But I mean, they haven't. They haven't got the message loud enough, I suppose, you know. But is there not
2: legislation or regulations that can be put in place uh, that would dictate what can be charged? I mean, it has to be a free market and the market has to Mm. dictate the value of a hotel room. And if a hotel uh, can command a hundred or five hundred euro a night, well well and good uh, and good luck to them Uh, some hotels are going to be for uh, the uh, elite uh, and so on, they're Mm -hmm. going to charge a whole lot but could there not be uh, something put in place where, let's say, you charge 200 euro for a hotel room for a night, that at any time within six months of that charge it can only increase by 10% let's say
12: I don't think there is Mike, as we were looking in to see if there was an angle around it to try and um, constrain it a bit and because Mm. it's private enterprise, you know, they they can charge what they want. But that's why I thought the, the VAT reduction and to, to split the VAT rate and to send a clear message out would have been the first loud signal that the government could have done. But sure, of course, the Hotel Federation were busy lobbying and um, they got their way, they got the extension of the the reduced VAT rate. But that would have sent a message loud and clear when all the other um industries involved in that same sector yeah. got the reduction but the hotels were hiked up until they learned their lesson but the mm. government and obviously then you, didn't have the backbone uh, to do that like
2: so so a tourist uh, arrive and into this country you could be paying 700 or 1400 euro for a bed for a night uh, and you're in the emerald isle and you're encouraged to do all the irish things uh, and you go down then for a pint Uh, which I imagine most people would do, uh, into Temple Bar, and you're charged a tenner for the pint. Uh, Are these prices justifiable? Because there are arguments, of course, about the cost of living, the cost of insurance, uh, the cost of of heating, electricity and all of that.
12: Yeah, Yeah, the the Hotel um, Federation were arguing that the cost of heating, you know, inflation, that sort of thing. And Mm. I argue back, well, the, the hotels in Europe are suffering the same with energy prices and inflation exactly the same as we are, and they can manage to provide value for money. It's, a simple, it's because they've gotten away with it for years, whether it's pubs charging 10 euro for Pint of Guinness or hotels just price engaging, price gouging. They've got away with it for years, and they mm. don't. They're not prepared to stop. But it's, it's only when the long-term damage is done. Like, if, if you were living in Europe, and you went on to sites, and you're looking, to, you're looking to visit Ireland, and you compared the hotel prices, and then you know reports of ten euro for pint to Guinness, and you know car hire, all that kind of thing. You just wouldn't, you won't come, and it might. The um, figures we were given there at the committee in December from the hotel federation, they had said that 42% of hotels had seen a reduction in the number of domestic bookings for this year. And I just thought to myself, Jesus, you're hardly surprised, are you? And when I asked them, was Mm. that due to the reputational damage, they kind of, they wouldn't answer it straight, you know. But that's that's it, though. And everyone you talk to say, no, I wouldn't, I won't. You'll get it far cheaper Mm. to go abroad. And if you have a young family, it'll cost less. You That will include your flights as well. It works out mm. cheaper than paying for something. But it's the other hotels, the length and breadth of the country, that I would have sympathy for, that are offering value for money. Yeah. And they too are going to be tarnished and damaged with this. It. But it's nothing but pure, disgusting greed. And mm. I, I would say again to people, when you see ch- hotels charging that, just don't, don't even go near them. Just don't okay, support but- them.
2: But you can't get a room, uh, so you know it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. if we if we don't go near them. Somebody's going to go near them, and a lot of people are coming into the but country. That's what and I'm saying. I think eventually, yeah.
12: eventually, you know, over a period of the next couple of years, because it's out there already. When you have mm. sites like Lonely Planet flagging it up, you know, you're going to have other. It, the reputation is starting to to get out there now, so you will have people that'll just say, "No, I'm not going. It's too expensive to go." And I know it's easy for us to say, or you know, mm. to say we're not supporting it, but they will they will start to feel the pinch. There is, okay. and and tourists, people travel now all the time, whether it's for a three day break or a week or a fortnight, yeah. and the, people are fairly astute. You know, they'll say, "No, I can get a hotel in Madrid for." Tired of that, or I can go somewhere else. You know where the cost of living is a lot cheaper too, and the cost of a, a beer or a glass of wine is a hell of a lot cheaper. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, but look, at the they'll, they'll rule the day that they they have destroyed, or you know, they've tarnished rather. They've tarnished our tourism reputation. Yeah, and the huge I, I, benefit I, that I, is to the economy.
2: I, I, I'm not sure they will. Perhaps uh, you're right, uh, but I'm not sure they will. The, the simple. Bottom line uh, at the moment is uh, that nothing can be done about it. So when we ask, why are they charging those prices? The answer is obviously because they can.
12: Because that's exactly it, because they can and they're getting away with it. And that's why I was really so annoyed with the government and the minister because she had said at one stage when I flagged it up prior to their, their lobbying about you know, putting back up to the VAT rate to 13.5 for hotels only. And she said, well, nothing's off the table. And she acknowledged the reputational damage that could be done if this isn't, you know, called to a halt. But yet when push came to shove, they kept the reduction. So why would hotels think that they're in any in any way in any bother about ripping off mm-hmm. people? You know, okay. when the government aren't prepared to take a stand with them and teach them a lesson and say, we'll see about bringing you back in under the reduced VAT if we continue with it, if and when you show value for money.
2: All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. That's Imelda Munster, who's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on tourism and a TD for Louth Andy Smith Michael,
6: Michael Reed on, on LMFM.
2: If you were listening to the programme yesterday, you'd have heard me speaking with Anne Cleary. Anne's mother, Florey, was one of uh, 22 residents in uh, the Dalgan House nursing home in Dundalk uh, that lost their lives between the 1st and uh, the 31st of April 2020. There's been many questions about what happened in Dalgan House and the families are determined uh, that they will have uh, commission of Investigation established by the government to discover what went wrong.
10: I think it was late October. We met Minister Donnelly and Minister Butler, And at the time, Minister Donnelly told us he would be back in a few short weeks with some suggestions for us as a way forward or a process that might help with establishing what happened in Dalgan. Uh, he hasn't come back to us. And, um, you know, many, I think what I would say is. I think there is a huge value apart from the covid the general covid inquiry that's going to happen in actual inquir- in establishing what happens at these places and getting a basic account because that actually should be used to feed the general inquiry that's going to happen and the second thing that I think is really important is that this inquiry needs to include human rights perspectives it needs to include groups of people and professionals such as social workers, experts in human rights and families who actually have gone through this process. You know, you know Einstein said you cannot solve a problem with the same consciousness that create, created it. And the, to have the same types of professions or groups evaluating or doing whatever they're going to do in this inquiry, which again, we don't know. Um, we don't know actually what shape it's going to take is not really going to produce the kind of learnings or the kind of reflection or the kind of changes that are needed in things such as management, governance, accountability, quality of care and in- indeed embedding human rights approaches into our care facilities at every level, public and private.
2: That's Anne Cleary speaking to me on the programme yesterday. The families continue to fight for this inquiry and Anne went on to say that they're being represented uh, by Fergus O'Dowd and all of the local TDs in the Dáil looking for uh, an inquiry into what happened in Jalgan House. Fergus O'Dowd is on the line and uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. We were speaking with Anne yesterday following uh, the report in uh, the Sunday Independent and uh, the documents that were released under the Freedom of Information uh, about what had been going on in April 2020 in Dundalk. It was a nursing home that was under extreme pressure and on a number of occasions we could see in those documents uh, that there were suggestions that the army would be brought in to help with the situation.
13: Yes, absolutely. And in fact, for all the families who lost loved ones and indeed for everybody is concerned about care of older people, it's really an appalling visit that were visited on the, everybody in that home at that time, and um, you know the, the number of deaths I think it was 23 was huge as well. It's one of the largest number of persons who died in any particular individual home, and there's also Michael, the, the fact is that the HSC knew about it for I think actually from about April the 5th to April the. I think the 17, so there's a, there's a gap of a number of days. There are a significant number of days when people passed away and the HSC or HICWA didn't take it over. And I think uh, the family are absolutely right. They need to know what happened with the management of the home, why this was allowed to happen in the way that it did, uh, and then the issue around about the response of the statutory agencies um, and I think absolutely a forensic a forensic inquiry is needed into what happened in that yeah. home. And indeed, I think about four or five other homes right around the country. And just to give you a comparison, uh, there's one down in Kerry, Oakland's nursing home. And what happened was hickman went in there. That was in November. So that was during the second phase. Hick went in there and they took it over while they were doing their inspection. Whereas uh, you know, the, the, the actions of the HSE were wanting, but I don't see any reference to HICWA going in there and taking it over. So what happened? So there's a, there, there are reasons mm. we need to know, and we need to plan for the future as well. But the and that's the spice.
2: And that's despite the alarm bells ringing. There were two nurses, Jackie Gordon and Anne Maren, uh, who highlighted their concerns very clearly uh, to the HSE. And then the owner of uh, the home, Vinton Farrelly, uh, went to the chief medical officer, Dr. Tony Hoolin, the minister for health, Simon Harris. Uh, there was information then sent on to Mairead McGuinness and the HSE chief executive uh, at the time, Paul Reid. Uh, but it seems they were left abandoned. Well,
13: let's be very, very clear. The HSE didn't go in. HICWA didn't go in and uh, until a number of days passed to take it over. But they did put staff in there. Uh, but obviously, we need the inquiry to go into the detail of that. But clearly, all of those deaths should not have happened. I think there's no doubt about that. They could have been prevented. And again, you compare, there was, I think, 32 people in the nursing home in Kerry, and 27 of them had COVID, and nine of them passed away. So nine. So that's because they brought in there immediately all of the experts from hospitals, and all of the doctors and nurses. And I've said there was a there was a huge supply of service into that home, which uh, which clearly which clearly should have happened in my view as well in in in, in Darwin House. So I think the inquiry has to get to mm. the bottom of that, but. You know, I, I have raised this many, many times with the minister. Of course, uh, you know we're not we're not having you know we're not getting any results from him. In fact, I asked him to meet, and you can check the PQs recently oh, sure a number of yeah, times. Yeah. I asked mm-hmm. him would he yep. meet would he meet with the with the families and he refused to answer that question which I think is not acceptable
2: Indeed we heard uh, how that played out in the doll with recordings that we played on the programme and uh, I'm sure our listeners will be aware that you've done that and done that many many times and there are so many questions why would the GPs not go into the home why were there so uh, few staff available, one of uh, the correspondents talking about one junior nurse on duty tonight with five carers for 69 residents Uh, and then they weren't able to give very dehydrated, very sick elderly people water Uh, and uh, the suggestion was that the army would come in uh, and do some deep cleaning uh, and that they could provide some care and provide fluids to the residents but that went unheated It did
13: and that is what the inquiry has to be about to get to the bottom of all of that So the other point Michael is that to, to look to the future as well how do we make sure when the next pandemic comes, and it will come at some stage, uh, how do we make sure that we have the appropriate and proper responses? Now, it may be, and this is not by way of an excuse, but on the very first phase of COVID, people weren't as alert as they were for the second phase. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't excuse what happened. And I think the inquiry must get to the bottom of that. And I think there's administrative uh, reform needed as well in other words, you know the, the 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 red flags which were raised, you know they didn't get the response that they got say down down in Kerry. Now that was because it was yeah. later in the year, but I mean so there are two huge issues, and most of all, I think the families, you know, they've suffered greatly by their loss. But they're, you know, it's 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 like Michael, it's, it's like people having to go to court to vindicate their, you know, their, their rights. You shouldn't have to do this, and mm-hmm. and Cleary is quite right. Like it should be. You know, this should be done for them. I mean, they're fighting every day to get the truth, instead of people being open and transparent about what happened, and and giving the explanations, uh, so sort of whatever they might be, and also making sure of the future. And that's really what's needed now is that this forensic inquiry into, I think, have at least five nursing homes, uh, must be carried out separate from the general inquiry that has also been
2: carried out as well, Michael. Mm, are, are you confident that that will be the case? Because the Taoiseach, uh, I think, told you the last time you raised this in the doll that there would be a, an inquiry that may begin sometime in the middle of this year, but it, it hasn't been agreed yet as to what the terms of reference for that will be. But uh, I don't think there's any expectation or is there that uh, Dalgan will be specifically uh, investigated?
13: Well I think it has to be I, I, I have no doubt at all I'm right, that it has to be uh, there's a there's Oak Lawns there's St Mary's in the Phoenix Park there's low, and there are a few other homes too that haven't come to the public attention yet that I'm working on uh, that, that would have to be investigated. But I think there are over five hundred and sixty nursing homes. There are over 31,000 people living in them right now. So we can't investigate them all. But we can look at general issues which apply separately to the forensic inquiry which is needed into these homes. And mm-hmm. I think that that is the difference. I believe it has to be a separate, focused inquiry. And clearly, clearly, uh, that, that that has to happen, and I've raised it at the Finnegall Parliamentary Party meeting as well, and I've asked that we be consulted as a party, and I'm sure all the actors should be consulted on the terms of the inquiry. Um, but like, it's it's a tough battle, and it's an unfair mm. battle because the families who have lost loved ones are fighting tooth and nail to get at the truth, and mm. you know it's three years on now, three years, three years. You know, it's just very unfair on the
2: families and very unacceptable, Michael. Okay, and as you say, uh, we need to learn from the past if we're going to deal with the future appropriately. How are we doing currently, do you think? Have we gone from this emergency situation going from lockdown to lockdown and isolation and so on? Uh, to a situation of complacency. And the reason I ask you that is, and I'm not sure if you're aware, but I'm speaking to you from my living room this morning because I'm not allowed out of the house because I have to isolate for seven days because I tested positive yesterday for COVID.
13: Not, Michael. Well, it's, I'm sorry to hear that, no doubt.
2: Not as sorry as I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
13: No, it's, I, well, uh, hopefully you make an excellent recovery. Oh, sure, there's it, nothing... It there's nothing there. there's,
2: yeah. yeah, but there's nothing wrong with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
13: No, I understand that. I understand yeah, that. Yeah. But if you're infectious, you could give it to somebody uh, yeah. who might be vulnerable. And that's the issue. Mm-hmm. It's older people, people weak in the immune systems. Uh, they're yeah. all vulnerable. And that's why you know, people who, you know, who who would have significant long-term illnesses are vulnerable. Um, but, like, obviously, you know, most people are fine now, thank God. But, like, you you know, it hasn't morphed into anything more deadly and awful as it was. We're very lucky about that. But, look, we we just have to take all the precautions. And we should value and respect our older people because they're not going to be around forever. And... You know, we really have to make sure that the quality of their lives uh, is is improved and support them. And when they're in nursing homes and in hospital and so on, you know, the the whole, they must be the centre of the care, which they are in the vast majority of cases. And, you know, I think, Michael, you know, I wish you a good and a speedy recovery. (laughs) I know I can't have you able to Mm -hmm. interrogate me.
2: Um. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I I, I don't know. The only reason I'm mentioning it is because I think it it is a a surprise to people. And we were speaking to local GP, Dr. Scully, earlier on, who was advising that you vaccinate and if you feel unwell, that you test. And if you prove positive, that you isolate. And that's, I suppose, the basic message uh, for people uh, or the reason for telling my story. Uh, But I'm absolutely 100% 100% okay. <laughs> and thank you for your well wishes. <laughs> and indeed, thank you for joining us this morning for that matter. Thank you, Michael. Uh, thank you, indeed. Filling TD for Loud and Eastmead, Ferguson Downs. Michael,
6: Michael Reed on LMFM. On LMFM.
2: Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. Garda Kate Patterson of uh, the Community Policing Unit in Dundalk joins us for the report uh, this week. And we're going to begin with a burglary that occurred in Dundalk and ended up in a disturbing assault.
9: That's right, Michael. So I suppose the detective unit in Dundalk Garda Station are currently appealing for witnesses to what was a very serious and frightening burglary and assault, which took place at St Ronan's, Terrace in Dundalk at 8pm on Thursday the 9th of February. The occupant um, of the house in question was watching television in the front of his home when he heard noises coming from the kitchen, which was to the rear. Uh, when the occupant went to investigate, he noticed that the kitchen window was open He thought that this was strange and he subsequently went to close the window. But in doing so, the injured party observed two males in his rear garden. One of these males was carrying a chisel or a screwdriver. Now, one of these males in the garden then proceeded to spray the injured party in the eye with what was a bleach or a pepper spray type of substance. Now, this caused the occupant to temporarily lose his sight. He ran to the front door of his house to seek help from passers-by um, and when he did return to the kitchen, he became aware that €1,500 Euro in cash had been taken and both meals had played the same. So the, det- the detectives in Dundalk are extremely eager to speak to anyone who may have been in this area on Dundalk on the night of Thursday, the 9th of February. So though it was a couple of weeks ago. It was the Thursday just before Valentine's Day. Um, so Ronan's Terrace is a really busy area just situated off the Castle Town Road in the Cox's main area of Dundalk. The incident um, occurred at around 8 o'clock and we're looking to speak to anybody who may have been in the area between the hours of 7pm and 8.30pm. Uh, it's really densely populated. There's a significant number of homes and businesses in the area. And if there's any information, anything at all that you think might assist the, in- the investigation, please contact Dundalk Artist Station. The number in Dundalk is 42 or Michael, as always, the Garda confidential line is open for calls. And the number there is 1800 Travel
2: 6 Travel 1. Okay, it really was uh, a callous uh, attack. Uh, But that goes back to the 9th of February, uh, as you say, just before Valentine's Day. We're going back uh, even uh, further than that to the 3rd of February. And uh, a woman in RD uh, came home to discover that her house had been broken into.
9: That's right, Michael. So the week previous, um, this incident uh, occurred on February the 3rd, which was the first weekend in March, so just after St Bridget's Day. um, I suppose the investigators in RD are appealing for any witnesses to this incident. It took place in the evening of Friday the February the 3rd. Um, An occupant of a house in the Callensfield Manor estate returned home from work at 9pm to discover that her home had been broken into and ransacked. Entry to the property appeared to have been gained via a glass back door which was extensively damaged. Um, At this juncture we don't think that anything was stolen in the incident but the house was left extremely damaged damaged, um, with interior doors, interior door frames smashed, so a lot of damage caused. Investigating Guardi have examined CCTV in the locality and on the evening in question we do have two males who've been caught on camera in a number of locations. Walking towards Tallinsville Manor from Loud Village, entering the scene of the burglary at twenty to eight, and leaving the scene to walk towards Town at quarter past eight. Now the males are quite distinctive. One is described as being of a tall frame, with the other significantly shorter, and both males would definitely have stood out as they looked so extremely, extremely suspicious. And both males were wearing surgical masks and had their hoods pulled up and appeared to be ducking and diving from CCTV. A number of vehicles are believed to have passed these mails while they made their way on foot to the scene of the crime. And if you think you've encountered these, or use any dash cam footage or CCTV footage, anything that you think may be of assistance to the investigation, we would urge that you contact RD Garda Station, or indeed any Garda Station in your locality. And I'll just give you a number for RD Garda Station. It's 041 685 3222.
2: Okay, wouldn't it be great if somebody could assist with that? Uh, You're trying to assist some of our our listeners because there's some property that is being recovered that you'd like to return to its rightful owners.
9: That's right, Michael. So at the beginning of January, um, I was conducting a checkpoint in Newtown, Bell, Regan in Dundalk, two males were stopped at the checkpoint. Now, they were described by the Guardian at the checkpoint as having been behaving in a, in a suspicious manner. Um, so, I suppose due to this interaction, a decision was made to search the vehicle in which the two males were travelling. During the course of the search of the vehicle, implements which are commonly used for breaking into properties, ice grips, a crowbar and a hammer were retrieved. Now, neither male could account for these being in the vehicle. So a further search was conducted and a number of items which we believe were taken during the course of one or even several burglaries were discovered and we're really keen to return these to their owners. Um, They're quite distinctive. The property is quite distinctive. Uh, It includes a parkside petrol chainsaw, a gold-plated navy and gold ladies brooch, a silver desktop clock which has a golfing design and several medals. Now, we do plan to feature these items on the Loud Gardish chukana Facebook page this afternoon. So anybody that thinks they might have an interest in them or know them can view them on that for further inspection. If you believe they belong to you, or if you believe you can assist in getting them back to the rightful owner, we would ask that you contact Dundalk. And the number in Dundalk again is 042 938 8400. They will be up on the Loud Garda-Chukana Facebook page this afternoon. And obviously proof of ownership would be required before we can return them to anybody.
2: Okay, very good. A chainsaw, a brooch, a clock with a golfing design and several medals. Uh, Mm -hmm. People, as you say, will see that on the Facebook page later. Uh, We've some criminal damage to report on next. This happened in Black Rock.
9: Yeah, just over the weekend, Michael. So on Saturday night in the Dundugan area, so both Guardian Dundalk and Black Rock are investigating this incident and are appealing for witnesses Around €1,500 worth of damage was caused to a a new home in the Dundugan area of Black Rock. At 8pm on Saturday evening, um, I suppose the occupant discovered that the front living room window and the front door were smashed. So obviously left the occupant feeling extremely distressed and frightened. We did conduct house to house inquiries in the area, but we would also like to speak to any witnesses or anyone who may have had any dash cam footage. As so I say, it only happened on Saturday, Saturday evening. And we would like, in particular, to speak to anyone who may have been driving in the Dundogan area between the hours of 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. And anyone who can assist the investigation can get in touch with us at Dundalk Artist Station, or as always, Michael and um, the confidential line. And the number for the confidential line is 1800 travel six travel one.
2: Okay, you're going to leave us with a, a word of warning about the grandparent scam. Yes,
9: so we'll go through this very quickly, Michael. Um, We see a new scam during the rounds that we call the grandparent scam. It happens when members of the public receive a random text purporting to be from a family member stating that they need financial assistance. So the person um, at the head of the scam will send a message pretending to be a family member saying that they're in a foreign jurisdiction and that they need urgent financial um, assistance maybe to pay for a bill or a fine. The victim of the fraud will then make a direct payment to the fraudster's account. So we would advise the public to be very wary of unsolicited text messages. Don't volunteer any information because fraudsters are known to fish for this information and resist the urge to act, no, no matter how dramatic the story is. Check with family, check with friends about a person's identity. Ask questions that a stranger couldn't possibly answer. And you know trust your instincts because the fraudster can make contact via social media platforms and use fake profiles. Um, Before we go, Michael, we'd we'd just like to mention that we're recruiting again. The Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, and the Taoiseach recently announced um, that we're going to launch a new recruitment campaign for garda Shikona. It'll be launched in the next few weeks, and we hope to recruit up to 1,000 new Gardaí. The campaign will be advertised nationally. It'll be on social media, and I suppose many of our community Gardaí will be present in colleges, schools, at events across the country over the coming months and weeks with information on entry requirements, on the training progress, and I suppose just for a chat um, about what um, life as a member of Angarda Shikana entails.
2: Very good. Thank you indeed, Gate Garda Kate Patterson in Dundalk. That's our our programme for today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. Maggie McGuire researched. I'm not sure where I was, but I'm Michael, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on MMFM. Good morning. (laughs) Bye-bye.